Hey, uh, hold up. What do you mean you don't listen to podcasts? It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> Welcome to the Be More Talkative Podcast. Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Be More Talkative Podcast for episode three. I am your host, TBK of the Baltimore Kid. In a world today where the human connection and communication seem to be a foreign concept, your boy is just trying to bring people back together and actually get them talking again. So today, I am honored to be joined by the man himself, Mr. Taft Taylor. Big on YouTube, big on TikTok, big on Instagram, big in the backyard world, big everywhere he goes. He just signed an independent contract for New South Pro Wrestling. Whew, I think I got that all out of the way. Taft, how you doing, brother? I'm making it, man. I'm doing. I'm doing uh, everything I can. What about you? I hear you, man. Just you know, same shit, different day. But trying to get this podcast off the ground, you know how it is. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, after coming out of the backyard scene, moving your way, moving your way on upward, should I say, into the indie scene, through all the years, all the hard work, you finally make it onto the indie scene. What is exciting you the most? The chance to just be there or the chance to, you know, get to get to lock it up with some indie guys? What, what, what What's on your mind? Oh, kind of a little bit of everything, you know. Um, it's the fact that I'm going to be coming out of the backyard and going into this indie scene where I know I'm going to have more eyes on the product. They're going to have more eyes on me. And you know me pretty well. One thing I'm really good, good at is selling myself. Um, I'm a talker. And my my deadliest weapon, you can take it the way you want, is my mouth. I can talk trash with the best of them. And uh, a lot of these guys in the backyard, a lot of these guys in the indie, very few in the indie can talk. And I've seen it. And it's not the fact that I could just talk. It's the fact that I can back up what I do. I know I'll be able to go out there. I can cut a promo on anybody just with the snap of my fingers i don't have to have a script if they want me to have a script that might be one thing but uh in the indie scene i know that they don't really provide one it's more like what can you do what can you bring to the table how can you sell yourself and get these people behind you whether they hate you or like you or love you in between whatever and i know i'll be able to do that but i'll also have the talent to be able to get in that ring and lock up with any of them i don't care how much bigger they are than me i don't care if they're smaller than me whoever it is I'll be able to tell a story in that ring and get the people watching it. Sure. Period. Absolutely. And you know, selling yourself, I mean, that is uh that's paramount. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how over you think you are. It doesn't matter how over the boys think you are. If the crowd ain't with it, you ain't got it. So, you right. know, I, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some of your matches. I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing how you get the crowd behind you. Um, so, you know, how do you, how did you get started into the whole wrestling scene? Like, you know, I know as, as it's pretty obvious, we all started off as fans, but what was it for you? What was the thing that, that captured your attention that made Taft Taylor go, you know what, this is for me. Oh, clearly it was, um, you're talking about when I actually first got in the ring, what got me in the ring 
what, like, got, to, what, what, got you, what got you in the ring? What got you watching wrestling in the, in the first place? Like, what was it that, you know, you saw wrestling and was like, oh, I want to do that? Uh, well, so it actually started when I was three years old, but it wasn't that I wanted to get in there and do it. It was more the fact that I just wanted to watch it because I was in awe of it. Sure. You know, at first I, I thought it was some type of a TV show or a, it was a show or a movie of some sort, like you watch and you're just mesmerized by what you're watching and you just love it. And I was hooked. First thing I saw, literally the very first match I've ever seen in my entire life was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Okay. I see the big old Andre the Giant, seven foot two, seven foot four, whatever he was at the time, standing over Hulk Hogan, who was already a larger than life guy, wearing the bright yellow, and uh, he was the superhero, and he's, you know, got everybody screaming for him. Sure. And I'm sitting there watching him just throwing bombs back and forth, and Andre slinging him around, and then when he finally went for that slam and he picked that guy who was bigger than him up, I was just like, to the screen. I was just glued to it. Yeah. And um, easily one of the ago, most Easily one of the most iconic moments in wrestling history. Yeah. So from that day on, I, it was over. I was hooked. Yeah. Uh, wrestling became like my number one thing. I just, I had to see what was going to happen. I had to see all these characters come on and just do what they do. And then it was probably, we'll see. I was three when that happened. Cause I'm as old as WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was probably about 10 or 11 years later. I was watching WrestleMania 12 and watching Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart go at it in the Iron Man match. Okay. And Shawn Michaels was instantly like, so I loved Hulk Hogan already. Yeah. But the first, like Hogan was my number one dude. I liked Ultimate Warrior a little bit when he was coming down and Macho Man. I dug them. They were cool. Um, I, I was really just Hulk Hogan was like my guy. You know, he was my, my favorite and then out of the blue, this little smaller dude who's real fast and just very, he's flamboyant. He was charismatic, Shawn Michaels. And when they said from San Antonio, Texas, and I'm like, what? Texas, Texas. I'm from Texas because I lived in Texas at the time. I grew up born and raised. Sure. I'm just like, I got to watch him. And he did one. I loved like karate movies too at the time that you know, as your young teenage kid growing up, and um, he was doing super kick, you know, the, the, the sweet chan music, right? And I was like, okay, Shawn Michaels is my number one favorite because Hogan had already left the company, he's in WCW, and I thought WCW was the enemy team. I'd, I'd click over there to watch Hogan for a minute, but I'd always come back to WWF, right. And uh, so on that side of the river during the Monday Night Wars, if anybody wants to know, old Taft Taylor was WWF all the way. And when WWF was on a commercial, then I'd switch over to WCW. And no matter what was going on, if it really didn't grab my attention, which it barely did, I was worried about if I was going to miss Raw when it came back from commercial. I clicked back. Oh, it's still on commercial. Go back to WCW. Okay, I'm watching. I'm watching. WWF. Oh, it's back on. Okay. Right. Sorry, that's right. how it was. Yeah, no, I I got you. <laughs> so but yeah, when I when I watched Sean, that's basically right there was when it was like, all right, yeah, I want to do this. I want to perform. I want to do. Uh, how do I do it? Right. 
14th birthday, I asked for a uh, trampoline for my birthday. Okay. I saw my girl on a trampoline with some friends. So it started the way the Hardy started, huh? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Had some, had some friends come over that watched wrestling with me, and we wanted to practice. All we did was practice moves. I practiced the sweet chin music. Uh, my, my friend, uh, who was a big fan of... Uh, he ended up being a real big fan of The Rock, but he liked Undertaker at the time. And he did the tombstone. He always did the tombstone to me. And then I had another buddy who wanted to do a choke slam. And we were just having fun, trying to see if we could pick each other up. Sure. And um, it just went from there. We did that for about two years. And then it was the Attitude Era. And, uh, I mean, I was watching in 97. I'm 13. And there comes Austin. I was watching him when I was 12 and 96. But he just didn't really grasp my attention until he hit that king of the ring and Hit that stunner on old Jake the Snake. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, something about that stunner is just, damn, I, I like that over a kick almost. Right. It's like I could I could hit anybody on that. <laughs> and uh, so I called my buddies over. We get on the trampoline. I said, hey, I want to try this new move. I just saw this guy do on uh, wrestling, Steve Austin. They're like, okay, what do you do? Because he, was, he wasn't big, big yet. I was like, he calls it the Stone Cold Stunner. And uh, I watched it over and over. And then I was like, so I'm going to put you right here and I'm going to drop. But when I drop, I'll let you go. Okay. So we kept doing it and kept doing it. I think I did probably like 100 stunners that damn day on the trampoline. And it was just fun. Everybody was doing it. We were stunning each other. And they were like, okay, choke slam time. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. Gotcha. I can ramble on, bro. I can ramble on about wrestling. Oh, no, it's (laughs) it's all good. Hey, that's, that's the name of the game, man. Be more talkative. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know, I, a, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of wrestlers have named Ric Flair as their goat. Now, me personally, I'm going to tell you straight up, this is a hot take. I know, uh, if we have any wrestling fans who are listening right now, I, I, I promise you, I, I, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or offend you, but I never saw the hype about Rick yet. Yeah, he was a great talker. He was one of the best at promoing. His in his in ring stuff never really, you know, got me going. Now, yeah. I would have to say, so I, I I will tell you right now, and I'm I'm pretty sure we've had this conversation before. Undertaker was the entire reason why I started watching WWE. Period. If it wasn't for Taker, I would not have been a WWE fan. I probably wouldn't even have started watching wrestling. Now. Right. Now, be that as it may, the huge Undertaker fan that I am, that is my goat per se. But my right. my goat goat, and I want to see if you agree because you brought him up, is in fact Shawn Michaels. Shawn had the look. Shawn had the ability to talk. And to me, his in-ring ability was unmatched until maybe about, you know, I'd say like an AJ Styles rolled around. What would you yeah. say? What would you say about Sean? What what is what is Taft Taylor's goat? Or who goat? Who is Taft Taylor's goat? The greatest of all time, in my personal opinion, right? Yep. And this is going to surprise some people. Some people would expect it. Um, is actually Triple H. Okay. Um, Triple H to me is one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. In my personal opinion, a lot of people really know me for loving Stone Cold Steve Austin, and uh, I idolize him, and I do. That that guy helped me 
the way he would react and you know everybody knows how stone cold is kind of defined my personality um of who i could be as a man as far as standing up for myself sure but as far as the skill level and the methodical thoughts and the way you talk um really wasn't austin the loud part came from austin but um it was really triple h and i really liked watching his work i loved uh he was kind of like rick flair 2.0 to me um i don't you know no matter what i always love rick flair but triple h i mean he became a 14 time champion in his career every time he went to the ring he said he was going to do something and he'd do it and the guy knew how to work a crowd he knew how to get the people behind him or hate him he was one of the most hated villains in wwf and wwe at the time i love his 2003 to 2005 run as the world heavyweight champion he brought rick flair out of his uh funk when rick flair who he was he uh got two young uh whippersnappers by the name of randy orton and batista and turned them into megastars absolutely and um look batista is a hollywood movie star now kind of following in the footsteps of the rock not quite on that level but close uh he's getting there he might who knows we don't know he's definitely getting there the the jump off point for him definitely would have been the uh, guardians of the galaxy franchise but he's getting there yeah and um as far as uh, Orton, Orton is, in, in my eyes, becoming one of the modern-day goats. And 100%. the reason I'm saying that, I mean, he's a 14-time champion. Mm-hmm. And Ric Flair said it himself, and I couldn't agree with him more, with all due respect to John Cena. And I respect the hell out of John Cena sure, um, because of everything he's done. But honestly, I think Randy Orton would be in that caliber of Ric Flair, Triple H, and now it'd be Orton. Yes. Because Orton, he didn't go off to do a whole crap load of movies. His passion, just like Flair, just like Triple H, has always been wrestling right wrestling 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 because that's where he he's most comfortable i think i would follow in that type of uh category as well if i i'm not not saying i would but say i was in that that league where i was doing so well i'm getting offered movie deals and all that i would really be like you know it's cool but my love is right here in this 20 by 20 square foot you know ring and um I really think Orton could be a 16-time champion. Yeah. I think Orton could actually be the one to get 17 titles if he was. It's just a matter of uh, when he's going to come back and how long he's going to stay when he comes back this time. You know, I think sure. when he finally comes back, I think this is going to be his last big run. Yeah, uh, I, whether I it be only whether it be one more year, two more years, who knows? But I mean, if you really, really do the math, too, four guys. With that ruthless aggression era, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Batista, and Randy Orton. Lesnar left for a while and came back dominant. He's a beast. He is the beast incarnate. Love Brock Lesnar. That guy is a freak of an athlete. And uh, a, a lot of his explosiveness, I like that. But a lot of people are saying that, that, that his time is coming too. That uh, that yeah. they're thinking that this next WrestleMania might be it for Brock. Yeah, 
and if if he comes for it for sure yeah i thought i think he did that kind of i think you and i maybe a lot of the world would agree that that match he had at SummerSlam with cody rose was almost like a passing of the torch 100 percent. Res- he respected that guy so much that he literally shook his hand and raised it and he's never done that to anybody not a soul not that i've not, not not that I remember in a powering moment like that. Right. It's kind of like passing the torch. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm done now. I might do a few more, but that's it. Yeah. And then uh, Cena, he's been away for a while, been doing it part-time for a couple of years. And now I hear he's coming back for a good seven or eight weeks for SmackDown. So yeah. I think he's wanting to run a program with LA Knight, and that's going to really boost the hell out of LA Knight. I mean, which I get, more, I get more on him later on. Yeah, yeah, for but, sure. We can definitely touch back on LA Knight for sure. But to to sum it up, Randy Orton is right there as uh, he's been a constant in WWE. Yes, and uh, he's definitely a guy that I I've always liked. I've always liked Orton since he was an Evolution. I of course I hated him when he made his debut. But here's a fun, small, itty-bitty little thing about Orton that makes me like him so much. Uh, one, he does that cutter with such awesome fashion. Yeah. But um, the, the, his debut date was on my 18th birthday, okay. April 25th, 2002. And I remember that SmackDown when he came down and fought Bob Holly or Hardcore Holly. And I'm like, right, man, right, Holly's, right. Holly's going to destroy this kid because I knew how rough heart hardcore was and um but orton picked up that victory and i was like holy shit okay yeah right (laughs) Right. so there it is yeah no i mean uh a lot of people had the same reaction now he didn't pick up the victory but going back to john cena when he made his you know in-ring debut against kurt angle you know and and everybody was like oh my gosh this kid can actually go um you know you just never know who's coming down the pike you know, like, especially, uh, like we had just mentioned with LA Knight, Um, and we will, like I said, we'll definitely touch back on him. So I'm curious to know, because I, I've had, I've had conversations with a couple guys and the reason I mentioned Shawn Michaels and Undertaker as my goats are, are because the match that they had at WrestleMania 25, the, the, the first match, you know, um, I, I have never been invested in a match more in my life to the point to where it literally made me cry. It when, 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 you know, the, the back and forth thinking that undertaker might actually lose a streak. The fact that, you know, it was, it was seeming to be HBK's last run, the, the back and forth between those guys, the storytelling, everything that, you know, came after, um, it, it was the only, it, it's till this day, it is the only match that has made me emotional. Is there a match that you can say has given you the same response? A number of them, a number of them, really actually, uh, the top one. And I can like, literally, if I wanted to put it on right now, I can watch it. And at the end it would make me uh, tear up because I know the history between both men and that's wrestlemania 24 john michaels and rick flair yeah and that that uh the very end when he's tuning up the band and then 
you know Flair, it's like Flair already knows this is it for me. You can see that face right before it even happens. And then Michael says, we've all seen it. I'm sorry. I love you. And you can read it clear as freaking day, dude. And he, bam, pins him one, two, three, and then just throws himself, like flips over, throws himself and hugs him and like holds his head. And you can see the tears. I mean, thinking about it is kind of getting me soft up. But uh, <laughs> that that touches my heart because as I was getting older, I was wanting to earn, understand more about Flair. So I went back and watched a lot of uh, NWA days and him in early WCW. One of my favorite Ric Flair matches of all time is actually on a, a TNT WCW uh, super show or whatever it was between Sting and um, Flair. And it was just awesome to watch to me. One of my favorite Flair matches and Sting matches. Right. And knowing that what flair has been through in his whole career all the way up to that point i mean he was even part of evolution he helped build up what we talked about a minute ago randy orton and batista uh siding with triple h triple h pulling him out of out of the funk rick flair is somebody that a lot of the guys highly respected it was triple h's favorite wrestler Shawn michaels favorite wrestler it was stone cold's favorite wrestler everybody loved rick flair it was takers i know you i know what you were saying earlier but for an older guy like me, because I'm a little bit older than you, Flair was what they call, I don't know if you've heard the term, but he was known as the 60-minute man. Yes. The 60-minute man is because he would literally go out there and work hour matches, not because he had to, but because he would go to all these territories and make the guy he would face look like a million bucks. Even if he'd win, he won 90% of his matches. Right. But 90% of those matches... He was selling his ass off for the guys he was in the ring with. And it's just that respect because he put people over. He made so many people go over and make them look good. Even in a losing effort, he still made them look like a million bucks. And that's one reason why I think Triple H is like the GOAT of all time for me. Because he, he, in the same aspect, did that. He could sell his ass off. You believe that he was getting his ass kicked by whoever he was putting over. Right. You know, he... He did it with Maven. He did it with Shelton Benjamin. I mean, just to name a few smaller type guys. I mean, hell, he, when he was facing Eugene, that Nick Patrick dude or whatever his name is, yeah. um, he was uh, he was making him look like a, a million bucks. I and mean, it's just Triple H is awesome. But when I saw that match, and I knew Sean idolized Rick the way he did, and then that 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 moment happened, it was just like, damn. Yeah. I, I mean. I, I bawled, I cried the day it happened, you know, um, my mom's looking at me like, what's wrong? You know, and I'm yeah. like, Rick Flair's done. No, you, know? you don't oh. understand. <laughs> yeah, you don't understand, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but then the next year, Sean goes to face The Undertaker. I mean, I didn't get emotional in that match. It was just pure excitement. I'm all, uh, to me, that match between Michaels and Taker, is considered probably the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Of all time. Uh, they tried to do it again in 26. It was great. As it was great good. as that one it was, was. It was good. I, that was the second match that caught me kind of emotional because it was Shawn Michaels two years later in the opposite role from what he did with Flair. Yep. But it was Taker doing it to him. It didn't have the same hit because I. it was almost like I couldn't believe it. Right. 
And like, well, maybe they're just going to go with something on this. But it was real. And it didn't really settle in with Michael's being done until like maybe a, like half a year later that I was like, okay, he is really done. Yeah. And then when they inducted him into the Hall of Fame, I'm like, okay, now, now, I'm, now I'm done. Okay. Right. Right, right. Because I, I, I love Sean. And I, I, I was one of the few that's actually gotten to see him live. Um, or I, I, He was one of the few I got to see live when he came back. It was in 2005. And if you actually look at the episode, it was the Monday Night Raw set front row at that I shown off a lot of people. It was uh, September 26th, 2005, Monday Night Raw, live in Waco, Texas, the last episode on the Spike Network. The next week they were going to be in Dallas and they were going to be returned to the USA network that everybody knows that they're on. And the main event was a tables match, a tag team tables match. It was Carlito and Chris Masters versus Shawn Michaels and John Cena. And my extreme Shawn Michaels fanboy moment that I had, Mm -hmm. there was a moment and you can see it live. If you watch that episode, you watch that main event, you can watch it on the WWE Network if you don't believe me. (laughs) He gets thrown out of the ring Mm -hmm. and he literally came right up to me. He was on the barrier and he was getting up. And I said, Michaels, come on. I patted him. I'm like, you got this. Kick his head off. And he looked at me just like this and he winked his eye and he goes, I got it, kid. I got it. Nice. He's like, keep watching. And that right there was like, man, yeah. yeah, yeah, talk yeah. To John. Very and nice. then the week after, I ended up getting to meet him backstage. And I got the picture. I've shown a few people. Where I met Cena and I met Sean. I got a picture with Sean. And that was great. So, yeah. Um, one of my bucket list items like, I got to kick off. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome, man. That, I mean, and, and it's those it's those little moments. And, you know, those guys like that, they, they know. They know that those little moments mean the most to the fans. Just a, a, a head nod, a little smile, or you know, slapping the hand when they come down the ramp. Those are the little moments that stick with you forever. So, oh, yeah. so I, I know you said I know you said that uh, Triple H was your your goat, and I'm going to tell you because the Undertaker is my goat for a a. I don't know, an unconventional reason, I guess you could say. Like, his body of work is is fucking awesome. Nobody can dispute that. The the streak, the, you know, uh, he was voted for having the, the best entrance in all of WWE with, you know, and all that. And all that's well and good. But the reason why he is my GOAT, the reason why I respect him as much as I do is because... If every every single interview that I've ever watched, whether it be, you know, some random Joe Schmo who's worked with him in the past or the tippy of the top, which would be Rick, Batista, Edge, Randy Orton, whoever, you know, Sean, Triple H, there there has been not one person who has ever had a bad word to say about this man. And a 30-year career... And not one person is calling you a dick, an asshole, a stiff, a jerk, nothing like that. I have I have yet, yet to hear one interview where anyone has badmouthed this man. And to me, to have the respect of your peers, to have the respect of your bosses, and then to to have the career that you had, that <laughs> that is a goat to me. So so what was it about Triple H? Was it was it his body of work? Was it his work ethic? Like what when you really boil it down, why is Triple H your guy? 
everything 100% character work uh, his love and passion for the business he never it's like he never left the only times he was gone was when he was injured he had two quad surgeries and I remember I was just on the edge of my seat on when is he coming back yeah. I want him back now you know I just it's it's not it wasn't a Monday Night Raw without Triple H to me and uh, he, I mean, I was even upset a few times when he was going to be drafted to SmackDown. Like the, the <laughs> beginning, like, no, he needs to be on Raw. I'm a Raw guy. Yeah. You know, when they were doing the brand split. And then uh, in 2008, when he returned from his second quad injury, uh, actually it was 07, he returned at SummerSlam to face Booker T. And uh, he had a different look. You could tell he was trying something different. Um, he was like skinnier in a way, more jacked, not jacked, but more like chiseled, kind of right. like what Orton was looking. Right, right. And um, the long straight hair, and he would just looked more like I've, I'm very confident now yeah. in who I am. And I was like, oh, this is going to be badass. And, and when Lillian goes, welcome back, the game, Triple H, I said, yeah, here we go. <laughs> he, better win. he better win this. I know he's got that. I love Booker, but I mean, to see that match. And um, I'm like, I'm ready to see who he's going to go into a rivalry next. And then he won the WWE Championship, the spinner belt. And I was like, okay, he's finally WWE Champion again. He hadn't, hold, he hadn't held the world title since 05. And how here we are three years later, he's finally WWE Champion again. It was actually 07. He won it at no mercy against Orton. And then later that night, he lost it back to him in a... In a uh, Last man standing match. I mean, I I can give you all kinds of information on Triple H, but it's just it's just his his character work, his work ethic, the way he performs in the ring. I got I get excited over it. If you look at Stone Cold and you look at Triple H and you look at their their charisma, their work ethic in the ring, their styles in the ring, and you clash them together, you get James Taylor. I am. I am a brawler in the ring, mm -hmm. like Austin. But when I get technical, I'm exactly like Triple H. I mean, it's it's not to boast. It's literally you go and watch my matches, and you watch my technical stuff, my suplexes. I I literally did everything I could to mimic my suplex to look like what Triple H did when he did his suplexes. My stunner is a, is literally. I've been I've been told on social medias. You look on my YouTube, which is Taft Space Taylor. Anybody that's listening wants to know. Go to uh, Taft Space Taylor on YouTube. Check out my shorts, and you can look at my stunners that I put on there. And in the comments, people are saying, your stunner is like probably the best stunner I've ever seen in the backyard or indie scene. You know, Kevin Owens, I think if I had made it to WWE before Kevin Owens did, I think Austin honestly would have blessed me with the stunner. Uh, straight up. <laughs> like, oh, that's funny. Maybe I'm going, maybe that's a long shot right there, reaching for that proverbial brass ring. That's but I mean, that, that's, just, that's, a, that's a straight shoot. I really believe that because it's not, it's not just me. I mean, I did everything in my power to make it look like that. But if I wanted to also, I could do the pedigree as good as Triple H. Um, and there it is. The only reason I didn't want to make that as my main finish it is because Triple H was still so current. Yeah. He was still he was still going. Austin was literally done after 03. He yeah. was he was done. No more. And it's like nobody's gonna use the stunner. I mean, and I love the stunner. Why not? Sure. But if you look at my signature, 
I do a spine buster and almost all my matches and my spine buster isn't a double A spine buster. It's literally a triple H spine buster. I throw the leg just the same way he does. I slam him and I'll get up. I mean, sometimes I'll do the, the thing like triple H, but most of the time it's just, I just do the, the spine buster. Right. Um, the, his mic skills, how, how, uh, his heel work. Oh my God. He was a heel for most of his career. You you got Austin, you got Rock during the Attitude Era. They were just the polarizing figures. But on the other side, that heel factor, the ultimate villain, other than Vince, I would believe was Triple H. You got these two faces, you got these two larger-than-life characters. Triple H became a larger-than-life character. He was like the he was like the Doomsday to Superman. He was like the you know <laughs> the Joker to Batman. I mean, he was right, right that great to me and um now him being coo how he lived the the authority storyline that he did with everybody yeah i mean and he brought back evolution for a short time period he made he boosted the shield up and roman reigns like a lot of people give him shit oh he he was he's part owner and he runs the co- he helps run the company and then he they gave him a world title he didn't get it and i live by that in my own promo company he didn't get the title to just say, look, I'm champion. He got the title at the Royal Rumble in 2016, literally to boost Roman Reigns up as much as he could. Sure. And it kind of worked. It didn't really work a lot because that's on Roman more than Triple H, in my opinion. But he literally did that to help boost him. Right. And there it is. I mean, it's just, I, I, I would consider myself on that caliber if i was to when i go on the indie scene i want to do the same thing i want to work like all like triple h does i want to do the same aspects because he uh he really truly is a goat to me that's just to me gotcha. you know my opinion yeah that's fair so i'm i so i'm curious to know since you mentioned stone cold and the rock like you said during the attitude era easily two of the biggest faces easily two of the biggest guys period um now the thing about the thing about Stone Cold, right? And I will I this is not to bash that man whatsoever. I wouldn't dream of doing that. Uh-huh. Stone Cold has gone on record to even say himself that while at the end of the day he had one of the most badass careers, his his in-ring work wasn't super duper special. He 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 was more known for his mouth and his promo work and stuff like that. Whereas The Rock had the promo work and the in-ring ability. So let me ask you, why do you think it is that till this day, Stone Cold is is probably revered, you know, just just a little over The Rock, you know, when when Rock had both. But was it was was it because Stone Cold was able to, you know, relate more and he was doing things that people wish they were doing, like beating the shit out of his boss and you know, the boss's little asshole kid and all that stuff. And, st- you know, it was it because of the re- re- relatability factor or it was because it was just that was Stone Cold and he was undeniable because, you know, if you look back to when he was in ECW, when he got hurt, the, it, Paul literally said to him, hey, look, you're phenomenal. Just come here and cut promos. That's all I want you to do. You know what I mean? It was, it's literally both, but mostly the fact that uh, people could relate to him because of his, he was 100% him. He wasn't, I mean, he tried the characters, 
He tried it, but the best uh, form of character that he could come up with was literally being himself and being his redneck ways and living vicariously like, I mean, this is how people would be. I mean, this is what they're thinking in their heads, only he brought it to life. I mean, I hate my damn boss. I mean, even in real life, I, I could relate to that. I, everybody could relate to it. That's what got him over. He even admitted it. I got the Stone Cold DVD, the Stone Cold What DVD. And I know that's, this is funny, but um, if you haven't watched it, go check it out. Uh, at the very end, he goes, now I know. And he says this, his words exactly, to the T. I might not be the best built guy out there. I might not be the best looking guy out there. I might not be even the best wrestler out there. But if you put all those things together and what what I could do, I think you get a pretty damn good guy or something like that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, he admits it. He knows he's not the he, – he, he doesn't believe he's the best. He just went out there and wanted to be a top guy, and, and he did it. In a short run, he's, he his timing – was impeccable, honestly. It was the Stone Cold character came at, he was in the right spot at the right time. WWF was plummeting and WCW was kind of going up. Right. It being who he was and just, they just took a chance and he just tried it. He saved wrestling. He saved the World Wrestling Federation and the WWE and made it transcend not just vince not all the other wrestlers yeah they all had their part but he literally took it by the throat and said come with me we're going we're going on this ride he saved the wwf he uh had all the people behind him relating to him because of i mean who doesn't want to go to their their boss and slap him in the face if they tell him to do something stupid i mean he was just being himself and he helped a lot of guys. He helped me as a teenager, believe it or not, not with a boss, but with a bully I had at school because I used to be bullied. I've always been a small guy, but I was really small back in uh, intermediate school and junior high. And it was junior high. I'm 13. It's 97. Austin's getting right in his boss's face. He's getting in anybody's face saying, I don't give a shit who you are. You ain't going to do nothing to me because I'm going to beat your ass. Try right. me. Right. That gave me the confidence to stand up to my bully and tell him, try me. And when he tried me, I, did, I didn't hold back. I did what I had to do to get the respect from my peers. And so I would not be picked on anymore. I stood up to my bully. It's really hard for people to do that. But I lived vicariously through that character just like he did. And I was just like... I got to be this way. And I got confident in myself and I, I was always real tiny. So I was like, I need to start working out too. I need to try and build myself up. So that way I can back up what I'm saying. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Right. But that was, the, and all that rolled into one to where it's like, I want to get in the ring. I want to jump on a trampoline. I want to do it on the ground, whatever it is. So I can start practicing because I need to know how to do this just to get, yeah. Wrestle's fake. But at the same time, it's still real to me, damn it. Yeah, I know I don't have to hold back against a bully, and I'll just throw some real bombs at him. And I mean, it's just that's why I think he's always going to be over Rock. I love Rock. Rock uh, it was great. If Austin wasn't there, though, The Rock wouldn't have been as great as he was. The Rock was as good as he was because he had somebody to build him up just like Austin in a way had the rock, but Austin also had McMahon. Sure. McMahon was the perfect villain for him, but to be on that performance level, that equal level, 
like before Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, I mean, if you even just throw that out, uh, not really throw it out, but put it to the side, my favorite Stone Cold match of all time is Austin and Rock 2 at WrestleMania 17. Uh, I got to go to that WrestleMania. Didn't get to sit front row, <laughs> but I was there. And Houston, Texas in the Astrodome. I'm 17 years old watching these two just go at it. And it was Austin's comeback. I mean, it's just, he, he's he's another goat. But, not you know, it, his was just a short fashion. And But just a match, just think about it, though. And just that short time, he changed the revolution of what wrestling is. Just in a short time. Imagine if he wasn't injured. Yeah. And he had stayed as long as Michaels and Taker and Triple H did. If he had stayed that long and he didn't really have the mindset that he had where he was constantly, he, he was fighting himself. His biggest enemy was himself. Right. He criticized himself. That was a lot of people don't know that about Austin. Austin criticized himself. He didn't think it wasn't that he thought he had the biggest head in the room. He felt that he couldn't perform on a level good enough to take care of all these other guys because he was more worried about somebody hurting him. And it's just, it was a big mess. But if he didn't attack himself and he didn't fight himself all the time and he was safe and, and didn't have that neck injury, I think he would have had another 10 years at least in him. And who knows where it could have been, you know, because I mean, look at him now, but just in that short run now, every time he makes an appearance, Look how this to the to this day, twenty years later, it's he's he's transcended. Not only he's a little bit better than Rock, oh, he's yeah. over Hogan. Yeah, he's over Hogan. He's over Cena. Cena's considered the goat. I like I said, with all due respect to Cena, he still ain't no Stone Cold Steve Austin. No, I have to agree with you there. And you know, uh, so I here, here's an interesting question for you. So with. Uh, with guys, you know, starting to make their exits now, um, obviously with Edge's contract running out, we don't know if he's going to be re-signing. With Brock pretty much looking like he passed the torch to Cody and people saying that WrestleMania 39 could be his last, uh, guys like Ray who were, you know, yeah, he's the U.S. champion, but obviously he's building up uh, Santos and, and the rest of the uh, LWO. You know, with guys like that, you know, sort of reaching their end, they're they're it, it's becoming obvious. And uh, of course, we're all waiting on Randy to come back, and God, we hope he does. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm again, it might be another hot take, it might be controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. When when Roman finally loses, when Roman finally loses his titles. Obviously, you would think that he's going to step away for quite a while, you know, to give the man a break. There's been talks about him taking the Hollywood role, just like his cousin, um, you know, and doing that whole thing for a while. So let me ask you, and, and it's kind of like a two-part question. The guy who takes over those those that role, those championships, uh, obviously the, the two guys that come to mind would either be Cody Rhodes or Jey Uso. Now, do you think that either one of them is going to have the the staying power, the ability to, you know, keep the crowd going for as long as Roman has, even though I am 
1000% over the fucking bloodline story at this point. But do you think, yeah. do you think they're going to have that staying power? And then the next question would be who like, okay. In my personal opinion, like we said, we were going to touch back on LA night. Unfortunately, everybody knows now it's, it's not, it's not new news, but it's still fresh news. We lost Bray Wyatt August 24th. Um, you know, to me personally, Bray and LA Knight could have been those next guys. They could have been the next ones up to really carry the company after Roman, I believe. Now, the question is, is obviously, again, we know with Cody, he has the history. Obviously, the last name says it says it all. Dusty's kid, blah, 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 blah. Finish the story, blah, 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 blah. Jay has the history coming from the family that he comes from. But if you took that away, do you really think that they would be able to have that same staying power? Because like I said, I believe personally that if you put the belt back on Bray, the the WWE universe is comfortable with that. They're they're okay with it. You know, everybody's happy for a while. LA Knight, in my personal opinion, does he need to work a program with Cena? No. I don't think so because he's he's so over right now with what he just did with the Miz, you know, of, of of all people. And Miz, again, another one of those guys who great promo artists, um, his role as of late has been kind of, you know, lackluster and goofy, just trying to put over other talent, which is great. It's awesome. But uh, see what I did there, Miz. Awesome. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, right. No pun intended. But um, you know, I I really don't think that LA Knight needs a, a program with Cena. I think that you know he he has he's on he's on such an uprise right now that I think that he will be fine if he gets to work with Cena. Great, cool, awesome. Um. But yeah, so the so the question is for you is when Roman finally steps down, when that when the bloodline thing is all over with, and like I said, the two guys who are really in that picture would be Cody and Jay. Do you think either one of those guys are going to have the same staying ability? And do you think, in your personal opinion, that Bray and L.A. Knight could have been the guys to be to carry the company? Um, Cody, yes. Jay, no. Um, I'm telling you is a, okay. So like, I believe in Roman. I'm not a, I'm not a Roman Reigns supporter. I'm the, the, the story is stale to me. It's getting stale, but as far as him being the figure that he is, uh, as far as even with the Samoan dynasty, that type of situation and stuff. Yeah. He's, um, he's made his mark. He's left his, you know, he's made his spot. Um, Bray and uh, Cody. Well, let's just let's go with Bray. With all due respect to him and God rest his soul, Bray is um he's been there as long as Roman Reigns. Uh, I mean, he could have went his direction if he wasn't, you know, his health and stuff. Say he was absolutely fine, you know, he would be at at the top for sure. I mean, he was already a top guy. It's just a matter of keeping a belt on him and him staying. Um, I think it was a matter personally of creative not getting in his way because, because he was the guy with a thousand ideas and, and triple H 
Triple H went on record to say that there there is nobody, period, nobody, period, more creative that he had the ability to mentor or work with than Bray Wyatt. But the fact of the matter is, is, is for every idea Bray had, he also had 10 more. <laughs> if, I guess the best way to get this to where it makes the most sense is if you put yourself in, in my eyes as a promoter, if I was promoting WWE the way I, that I would do it, if we could go that route. Sure. Okay. So the reason I say no to Jay is Jay. Okay. He's uh he's a little over, but he's actually, he's just, uh he's not grasping my attention. I'm, this is going to sound mean, but I, I'm bored if I hear Jey Uso talk or Jimmy Uso. Well, to, uh, me, to uh, me, not to cut you off, but it still seems like, like Jay is a little bit green on the mic, too. It looks like he's lost without Jimmy being there. Yeah. And until one of those guys finds something, whatever that something or it is, mm -hmm. they're always, to me, going to be in the shadow of Roman Reigns. Uh, Roman has Paul Heyman, and I really think that's what Roman Roman was like eh, to me forever, until finally he got uh, of all people Paul Heyman, and Paul Heyman Paul Heyman wouldn't be Paul Heyman if Paul Heyman wasn't Paul Heyman. <laughs> Paul Heyman is great. That's the statement and of I, the year right there. <laughs> yeah, I've always loved Paulie, and uh, yeah, yeah, for sure to see him walk by the side of Roman Reigns mm -hmm. and it go where it's gone. If it, in my eyes, if it wasn't for Paul, Roman wouldn't be where he's at today. And the only way that possibly something like that could happen for Jay or Jimmy would be if they had a Paul Heyman or, they find some type of other itch. And that's that's the problem with some of these guys. Is like, in order for them to really go over, they have to have another mouthpiece for them because they can't talk. Yeah, right. I was going to say, do you think do you think working with Paul kind of turned Roman into the two-move the, the two trick pony where, you know, he was decent in the ring with the, with the shield and all, and then he, he started getting with Paul, started getting the big push, and then all of a sudden we all we got from Roman was the spear and the Superman punch. Just like when, when uh, Paulie was working with uh, Brock, it was all about that fucking suplex and about that F5. Like, all, yeah. all, all of uh, Brock's, like, in-ring ability was just, oh, don't get hit by the F5 or that's the end of the match. You know, it can't, it, do, do you think it was, I don't know. Like, I don't, obviously I'm not going to blame Paul because Paul is fantastic. But do you think it was because when they reached that spot, you know, it's, I feel like that's what happens to them big guys. Because after a while, the same thing happened to Cena. It was, it was the bull, it was the shoulder tackle. It was the five knuckle shuffle. And then it was the AA. It was those those three moves and and it got stale. It's it's not really more of the, the the stale. What makes the Roman Reigns stale? Okay, so let me throw my opinion with Cena real quick. Cena was very he was he had a lot of 
uh, bad credit for how unorthodox he was in the ring. And you could tell early on in his WWE career, even when he was WWE champion for the first time, he was just so kind of off balance. He just seemed a little weird, you yeah. know, in the ring. He yeah. had the charisma. Some bitch could talk like no other. That's that's one thing that sold him. But it was the fact that, uh, like, he, I saw an interview that he talked about, and Triple H said it too. It was with Triple H. He had that match at WrestleMania 22 with the game. And Triple H went in there to work with Cena to have a program. You know, and it was great. I wanted all, I wanted Triple H to win. Clearly, it didn't happen because Cena's the guy. Get it. But uh, the interview I saw was, like, after that. Backstage, he went up to Triple H and he asked him. He said, hey, can I get some feedback on that match? I loved working with you. You know, what's your honest opinion of me? And Triple H said, do you want me to give it to you straight? He goes, yeah. He goes, I think you suck. He goes, I'm not, <laughs> you know, you, you suck. You suck in the ring. You're a great talent. You know, you're great charisma. You're great on the mic, but you suck in the ring. What made Triple H respect Cena and, and, vice, and vicariously, I feel the same way, is the fact that Cena didn't take that as an insult. He took that as great. I'm glad because that means I'm going to be better and I'm going to prove to you that I can be better. And he, he transitioned and started getting better and better and better slowly, but surely yes, his signature shoulder tackle, the soup, the, the back suplex spinning one into the five knuckle shuffle yeah. and then into the AA that's the signatures into the finish, but he could suplex. He could do drop toe holds. He did. He, he, uh, put in the, in his repertoire, the STF, the STF you know, right. You know, he, he did that. And if you actually think about it, if you go back, the last guy who really was using the STF was Austin. Yeah. Stone Cold did an STF. He didn't do it a whole lot, but he would do an STF. And um, so there's that. So Cena, I hated him forever. <laughs> but when I started really understanding his gimmick and understanding how he was and never really turning heel, actually never turning heel, you know, and seeing what he stood for, I really respected the hell out of him, you know? And, um, but if you look at Roman Reigns, and I've, I've, I've seen this since 2012, since he debuted, nothing has changed with him. He could put on a long match, but literally, he is a two-move guy that you say. He is what I would call, dare I say, the modern-day... Goldberg with a a better fashion. He's not flying through guys in yeah. a matter of like two or three minutes. He's stretching it out and getting his ass beat, making you think he's about to lose. But then here comes the two or three moves, and then it's over. Right. You know, and that's what's like. Ugh, I'm bored. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm bored at a Roman Reigns match. I've always been bored at a Roman Reigns match. There's only one Roman Reigns match that ever stood out to me that made me kind of believe in him. And it was his first time he fought Brock at WrestleMania 31. Right. Until Seth Rollins came out and did the biggest heist of the century. But it was that whole match, seeing Brock just beat the shit out of him down, slapping him so hard and getting him. And then him like finally coming back. I'm like, okay, I'm believing in this kid now. I'm, I, I've got the believability. I kind of want to get behind him. I'm a big Brock fan, but I'm getting behind Roman a little bit. Now I had a little sliver of hope, but then it just fell <laughs> after that because it's like, why can't you keep doing that? You're not doing that. Yeah. But Hey, it is what it is. If I was to book WWE today, 
my personal opinion, with the current superstars that are on it, I would have Cody defeat Roman Reigns and win the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. The perfect, I don't know why they won't use him. This is my personal opinion. I really believe that it'd be Cody Rhodes, The Miz, and right behind, because he's coming real fast, really fast, is LA Knight. I would have The Miz be the top heel because that, that bastard can talk. Okay. He's over he's he's underrated. He's he's not used the right way. If it was me, I would have him be the next heel, the top heel, where everybody was hating him and be champion. Well, we've had a heel champion forever. We need Cody to be the face. Yeah. But somebody to be there would be Miz, in my opinion. I, but then, I could see I could see some really good matches between Cody and Miz. I would be all right with that. It would be cool, and uh, I've I've always been a Miz supporter. I actually am a fan of the Miz. I like the Miz, and um, when he won the WWE title for the second time, I'm like, okay, great. Hopefully, he'll keep it for a while. But then he was just a handover guy, and that kind of that kind of perturbed me a little bit because I was like, give him at least a couple of months, shit. Yeah. You know, you know what? But, I, um, you know what I just thought about. You know, the Miz is slowly starting to re- remind me of of Jericho. Can, yeah, can you, like can you yeah yeah like i, I agree you know agree. the 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 whiny heel the you know the guy who would get on the mic and yell and and you know make a fool out of himself but you could still you know after a while you went from hating at him to just laughing at him because he was you know out there just just screaming and saying outlandish <laughs> shit and uh, i love you Oh, oh, I yeah. love Jericho. For I've sure. Always loved He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Miz for sure. But Cody Rhodes, I think he's he's getting better and better on the mic. He's not super empowering on the mic, but he can go to town in that ring. You know, his in ring ability is to me, he's good. He's top notch. He he's he's where he needs to be. I think he's done great with what he's done in his career. He's got a catchy entrance thing that everybody loves. You know, the people are behind him uh, to see him turn heel in his form. I think he's in a way, dare I say, kind of where because of his gimmick, I think he'd be more of the modern day Cena because like where he's going to be that guy that won't ever turn heel again. I really believe that. That's my opinion now. But uh, really look at it. Really think about it with how Cody Rhodes empowers all these people, how all these fans are behind him and how his mindset is, I don't see him ever going heel again. No, probably not. Bet on it, but you know who knows. But I would love to guy, see. I would love to see one last thing between him and Randy. Yeah, him and Randy, that'd be great because the legacy. If Randy came back, that's going to be. You can damn well bet that Randy Orton is going to want to face Cody Rhodes for, for sure. sure. Um, but the other guy, he's trailing behind. He's not really trailing. He is he's, on their ass. Yeah, <laughs> is L.A. Knight, yeah. and I, I am. Uh, I've watched L.A. Knight when he was in N.W.A. and always liked him. He always had his little catchphrase and stuff. And it's funny lately. I've been being compared to L.A. Knight. So I had one guy message me and say he commented on a video, and I did a response to it. He said, how does it feel to see L.A. Knight rip you off on your gimmick? I'm like, what? 
Because <laughs> I don't say yeah, yeah. you know. Right, but right, right. anyways, LA Knight, I think your two next top guys for this generation is going to be Cody Rose and LA Knight. And I see them eventually, that's going to be the big tease. And that, I think the first time we see that match, dare I say it, Mark my words, I think is going to be at a WrestleMania. I don't know if it'll be 40. I don't know if it's going to be 41. But dare I say, within the next year or two, I think we're going to see a headline pay-per-view of uh, a big marquee matchup of Cody Rhodes and LA Knight. I can, and, um, I can see it too, to be honest with you. you know, And, and here's the thing, right? I've seen a couple things like uh, uh, Kevin Nash he has his uh, his uh, click this or whatever click uh, podcast on YouTube. Um, he he said you know he had some pretty strong opinions about LA Knight. He he said that, he said that he was trying to be a modern day rock. He said you know he said the the program just recently here the program that he did with the Miz. He said you know uh, he's he's getting a little better, but you know he's still flubbing his lines and. You know, he's not super fluid in the ring. Yeah, okay, that's great. And I get it, you know, but the fact of the matter is, is people, they, they are, for whatever reason, whatever it is, whether it's the catchphrase, the charisma, whatever it is, they, they are infatuated by this guy. And that is, that is all you need, (laughs) you know? Yeah, it's because he could talk, and uh, as as good as he is in the ring, the only thing that's going to stop him is an injury, and he does not need an injury. And I've seen that jumping suplex he does where he jumps up on that top rope, he does a superplex. It's kind of almost a signature of his now. Yeah. He, uh, I'm just praying that his momentum doesn't get halted. I pray that... Uh, he stays where he's at and he starts being a little more careful because he's already got the audience behind him. He doesn't, he doesn't really have to, in my opinion, he doesn't have to do super OMG moments. All he's got to do is come out. Now he's on that level of, he's almost on that level of rock in Austin. I mean, his music hits, here's going to sound a little uh, crazy right here. I don't like, like his his music, but when he comes out, I, I mean, you still pop I for see it the though. Pop he's getting, yeah. He's getting a he's getting a pop more than anybody. Yeah. Like that guy, he coming out. People are like, that's their going guy. nuts. That's their guy. And you don't you don't you don't see that with a lot of these WWE superstars now. You know, you see the pops when you see the old guys come out like Edge. Oh yeah. You know, when Randy Orton comes back, bet you best believe that people are gonna pop when he comes out. Dare, you dare, know, dare I say I think that the yeah is going to be the next what yeah like 100 i feel like they Uh you you know they watch as soon as they as soon as they release a couple yeah merchandise t-shirts them them things are they're gonna fly they're gonna fly yeah exactly I mean, it's it's just he found it. He found his marketing, and it's just doing something simple, you know. And th- that's what works. It's just something as simple as that. And uh, he's got a move set. He he's got his in ring ability. I think he's uh, the next top guy for real. And he's just being himself. And sometimes that's the best work. And I feel like I could do that 
when I go to the Indies. When I go to the Indies, my, my job isn't to just try and win titles. When I go to New South, I want to work with everybody that I can. And I want to make them all look like $100 million that I can and promo because I have yet to see some real promos. And I really believe here's a, here's a cool thing. NWA is one of their biggest supporters, the national wrestling Alliance and LA Knight was their world champion. At one point, he was a big, big star right now. EC three is the uh, current world champion. He just defeated Tyrus uh, at the 75th anniversary show and that NWA world heavyweight title. Okay. So get this, just, just not saying it's going to happen, but this would be a dream for me. I don't have to try and make it to WWE, not like that. If I ever get that opportunity at my age, hey, that's great. Here's another cool thing. You know, LA Knight's almost, he's low 40s. You know, he's almost oh, yeah. 44th, something like that. And he's just now making it to WWE. Yep. I'm 39 and about to go to New South. And NWA is one of their biggest supporters and watches every one of their shows. And if I take off, if I take off, my dream is to get to NWA and my ultimate goal would be to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship because think of the guys who have held it. One of the biggest names of all time that has held that title was Ric Flair. Yep. And if I could say that I have held the same world title that Ric Flair at once one time held, that, that, uh, that'd be my icing on the cake. I'd be good. I, I'd be satisfied from there with my career and go and I, I wouldn't have to do nothing else. You know? Right, right. That's that, that is my goal now in my career is to make it to the NWA and to win the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship before I'm 50. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And <laughs> hey, what? Uh, DDP was what? 35, 36 when he broke? So it yep. can be done. Batista was too. Yeah, believe that's right. it or not. That's right. But he still was an old fart when he started. As <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, anything can happen. It's just really about how you take care of yourself and your body. I'm a non-smoker. I don't drink. Uh, I got a little bit of a belly, but not much because of the food that I eat. But I've actually been doing really, really well with that. I've actually, over the past month, I have lost 20 pounds. There you go. So, I'm at a nice flat 200. And nice. I'd, like to get, I'd like to get between 180 and 200. And uh, I've been doing a lot of fasting. That's the trick, fasting. Um, and there it is. So it's just a matter of taking care of yourself and what you can and can't do. You know, know your limits, of course. But uh, I'll definitely be uh, hoping that people watch when I go to New South. And uh, if I ever get the opportunity to go to NWA and they want to call me up, then uh, there you go. We'll, we'll see what happens over the next year or two. <laughs> Absolutely. So we've we've talked a lot of wrestling here. Let's let's transition into something real quick. So your your gimmick, uh, uh, TNJT, the Nemesis James Taylor. We have talked several times about your love for Resident Evil. What makes that like? It, it, w would you go on record and say that is your all time favorite game franchise? Period. Yeah, definitely. Okay. The story, the story of Resident Evil. It was another time in my life. Uh, 1996, I'm 12 years old, and the very first Resident Evil was released. I had just gotten a PlayStation the Christmas before in 95. I got uh, my favorite fighter series of all time, Over Street Fighter Mortal Kombat is Tekken. And I got the first <laughs> Tekken game, got Crash Bandicoot, all that good stuff, Ridge Racer. 
But uh, a little game came out because I'm a big horror buff also. You know, Freddy Krueger. I love uh, zombies. Night of the Living Dead, okay. Day of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead was my favorite zombie movie, actually. The 70 one, the one where they're in the mall. Um, okay, this so, was before. So put, a, put a pin in that since you said horror, just because I'm curious. Because I've had a lot of debates with people on this now. Who, who in your in your opinion... The all-time best slasher it, it, between Michael, Jason, Freddy, and Ghostface. Mine? Yes. In your opinion. Freddy Krueger, 100%. Of course you'd pick Freddy. Damn you. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. That's also my year. The year that movie came out, 84. Anybody want to look it up? 1984, that's the year that the old nemesis James Taylor was born. <laughs> and uh, Robert England, the one and only. Uh, I met him. He's a great dude. And uh, there'll never be another Freddy like him. But the Nightmare on Elm Street series is by far to me. Think of it just like wrestling, dude. Think of it like wrestling. You got Ghostface. Yeah, but you have different killers. You don't really have a set killer. It's always They always wear the same thing. They have the same motive. They all use the same weapon. It's Ghostface, but there's multiple ones. It's like clones, right? Sure. Different killers. Then you got Jason Voorhees. He's, a, he's like a zombie in a way. He can't die. I'm Team Jason. Jason. Right. Jason, there's nothing wrong with that. Jason's great. Love Jason. He's my number two guy over Michael. I like Michael Myers too, but these guys don't fuck. It's wrestling. Think of it like wrestling. Freddie's got the mouthpiece. He can talk the trash and they go do the justice or do whatever he's got to do to get the job done and that charisma. And I was the only guy in 2003, Freddie versus Jason, the movie. When that came out, I was the only guy Terrible. in the theater that was written for Freddie. Terrible. Terrible. And, and, and when, 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 Jason, when Jason beat him, I'm like, boo. Well, well, but when ahead. he held his head, yeah. and then you see Freddie wink, I'm like, you can't kill Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, the reason now, okay, so I am I am 100% Team Jason, and I know that there, there wasn't, you know, a constant Jason which there fucking should have been by the man, a, a, a man by the name of Kane Hodder, you know, did Jason from uh, Jason seven all the way up to Jason X. And for whatever fucking reason got passed over to do Freddy versus Jason, which was horrible. Um, and that is another reason why I'm not, I, I love the movie because you know what? That movie for me is more funny than it is scary, and that's probably because of Robert Englund. Robert Englund has, you know, absolutely I'm with you 100%. When they tried to do that remake of uh, Freddy Krueger or whatever, uh, yeah, no. The only Freddy is Robert Englund. I'm, I'm with you 100%. But the fact of the matter is, is Jason, like, to me, he's just, he's so fucking brutal. Some of the kills that he has or some of the kills that he's done are so fucking iconic. They're so brutal. And mm -hmm. Kane actually got his inspiration for um, for the way that he would make, you know, Jason move from guys like Kane, from guys like The Undertaker, going back to circling back to wrestling here. 
And he also said that he even studied a little bit of the, the guys who were playing Michael Myers, the way that they would move, the way, you know. And that's the thing, too. Like, you know, I think it takes just a little bit more skill. And the reason why I say this is anybody, as long as you have a fucking personality, can make, you know, their guy iconic by what they say. It takes a real motherfucker to make an, a character iconic without saying a word. So you, what you're saying is you're a big fan of Kane Hodder's work, right? Yeah, 100%. So then that should be all the more reason for you to play that Texas Chainsaw Massacre game because he did the mocap for Leatherface in that game. That's right. That's right. He did. I, I found so, out about that. He, yeah. Um, I think he actually... I like Kane Hodder too. Yeah, Kane... Oh, man... I, I, that is another, that is another guy that I have the yeah. utmost respect for. But you know why they didn't use him for Freddy versus Jason, don't you? I, uh, well, do you know? I, 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 I can tell you. you, you could tell me, I'm sure, but from, from what I've heard and from all the interviews that I've, I've listened to, he, I don't think he's ever been, I could be wrong, but I don't think he's, it's ever been like concrete reason why. Like he just said that for whatever reason, they decided not to go with him. That's the reason that he gave. So if there's a concrete reason that you know of. There is. There's a concrete reason. Kane Hodder is actually shorter than Robert England. Robert England's a six yeah. foot something dude. Kane Hodder's actually shorter than him. Right, right, and right. they did not want Freddie to look taller than Jason. They want Jason to look like the bigger dude. It wasn't that they didn't like Kane Hodder. It was just it could not work with Robert England because there's only one Freddie. And Robert England is the Freddie. And it would have been way too hard for them to figure out how to make Kane look taller than Fred, you know, than yeah. Robert. And um, so they had to go with a different guy because Jason doesn't talk anyways. And the guy studied Kane Hodder's work as much as he could. He really did, with all due respect. I agree. I would have loved, when I found out it wasn't Kane Hodder, I was a little upset too. But then when I found out that concrete reason, I'm like, I guess it makes sense. You know? Yeah. And I went with it. Um, it is what it is. But it's because Kane is actually shorter than Robert. And uh, it just, it would have been way too hard for them to actually film that because, I mean, if they wanted, if the fans, the fans wouldn't have believed it as much if Kane was shorter than Robert and Kane was still whooping Robert's ass. You know what I mean? That's, because that's, that's fair. I mean, I mean, if, I, it, when, if you look at it that way, yeah. it, it'll, it'll make you feel better about the film. I mean, it's a, it's a great movie and Kane Harder is always going to be to me the number one Jason as well. I agree. He, I love uh, my favorite Friday movie, in case you're curious, is uh, Seven, Part Seven. Absolutely. I love the new blood. I love his look in that movie. That was the coolest looking Jason. It was just a, it was a badass movie. I like Jason Lives right before it, Six, but something about the new blood was just awesome. The worst one I hate is uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. I, it was too goofy to me. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. The, the part the part on that, look, the part, <laughs> I don't know why, but the part uh, with, with him up on the roof fighting the boxer, man. That's, and That's the only part that I like. <laughs> that, that uh, look, when I saw that part for the first time and, and he's just sitting there just eating punch after punch after punch after punch and you're sitting there and you're hanging on and you're like, he... He's not just going to keep taking them punches. What is he going to do? And then the next thing you know, 
He just punches the fucking dude's head off. Bro, yeah. I, I lost my shit. I laughed so fucking hard. <laughs> I was like, that's what they made him do? <laughs> oh, that shit was great. But yeah, dude, like, I don't know. Like, and and the thing that, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not going to boo-hoo for, for the guy, but it does make me feel bad is when fans come up to Kane with a poster of freddy versus jason and he has to sit there and go that's not my work you know why would you do that sort of thing you know like it's good natured but you know what i mean i i get why he would feel that way but if he really thinks about it in a way he should feel honored and this is this is the only reason why i'm saying because the fans look at kane the same way you and me do kane if it wasn't for Kane, we wouldn't have the Jason we all love. That's right. Kane, Kane really made Jason. No other actors you really think of. I don't even remember the names of all the other actors with all due respect to them. It's Kane Hunter was Jason Voorhees. Like Robert England is Freddy Krueger. To me, the only Jason that mattered was Kane Hunter. And if these guys are coming, that means through the other guy who actually did the part in that movie, Kane is Jason. Yeah. You think you think Jason Voorhees, you think Kane Harder. You think Kane, you see Kane Harder, you're like, that's Jason. That's Jason, all 100 percent If I was Kane, I'd be like, I didn't do the movie, but you're looking at me as Jason. I am the only true Jason, so let's do it. <laughs> yeah. But right. well, it, it, it's the, the fact that that's what people want. They yeah. want Kane Harder's and Robert England's signature on the same poster. Which because is, that's the way it should have been. That is that is the way it should have been. And, you know, the, the, the reason why I love Kane so much is because he took Jason and he took him from, you know, the big monster, you know, freak zombie, you know, just walking around, just killing. He, he really made him like brooding and intimidating and fucking like, oh shit, you know, like, and like I said, the, the, the whole the breathing technique that he used to do, the way that he would turn his head and then turn his body, you know, he yeah. he gave he gave Jason a personality without Jason having obviously to say a word, which is why he he made that character iconic. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that going back to the horror stuff, I mean, like with the video games, Resident Evil. I mean, like I said, I'm a big horror buff. I love zombies and uh, was going through a tough time and, and everything. Just lost my grandmother and uh, my mom wanted to surprise me in July of that year with uh, Resident Evil. She goes, I was talking to this guy at the store and uh, he told me about this new game that was a scary game that came out. It's got shooting in it called Resident Evil. Don't know nothing about it. Thought you would like it. And I said, okay, I can kill some monsters. That'd be fun. Sure, I'll try it. Went on it, and I, it was one of those moments where I was glued to the screen. And it was just like the story, the cheesiness of the the one-liners in that game, <laughs> the bad voice acting, but it, the yep. eerie, cheesy music, and the, the way the zombies were, the atmosphere, the still shots of the, of the rooms, and you run through it with the tank controls. It was like the perfect game to me. I was like, wow, this is like I'm having fun 
I'm laughing. I'm enjoying it. There's some scary moments. Made me jump in a few spots. Uh, I hate spiders. You get to kill giant <laughs> spiders, the big snake. I mean, I was just like, wow, this is awesome. And um, then Resident Evil 2 was announced two years later in 98. New characters, same type of world. And it was a story continuation. And I was already behind the first one. I went with it. And then I remember I'm in my sophomore year of high school in 99, and they announced Resident Evil 3, and the next big baddie in that was going to be, it was a returning Jill Valentine from the first game that I loved more than anything. So I was excited because I was a big fan of Jill, plus I'm a, I'm a teenager, I had a crush on her. <laughs> and uh, the new big baddie was Nemesis. And um, I'm like, man, this guy, this thing looks like a super zombie, you know? Yeah. And the way he, he would come out, he goes, stars! He stretches his arms out and he starts charging. Freak you the hell out. That's right. Loved it. That's right. Loved it. And uh, that one I went back to over and over and over again. I love one, I love two, but something about three kept making me go back because I was just like, I love Jill and I love this bad guy, the nemesis. I want to see if I can get away from him. And that's where I morphed that into wrestling because I was struggling with a wrestling name and all my friends who were trying to come up with names and stuff. And uh, it was one of my buddies, my best friend, Chris, actually. And he's like, um, dude, you play that. You're struggling with a damn name. You play that damn Resident Evil 3 Nemesis all the time. Why don't you just call yourself Nemesis James Taylor? Okay. I'm like, how can I be a nemesis? And then I'm thinking, well, it's the nemesis. He does this, I, and then the definition of nemesis, we all know, you know, he's the ultimate, like, no matter what you do, you can't get rid of him. Right. It just, it, it fit to me, and uh, I just started using it, and then uh, that's that's the story of how I got the name of the nemesis, James Taylor, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, for me, dude, it, like, what got me into Resident Evil was actually another game, which I'm sure you're aware of, House of the Dead. Yep. House, House of the Dead. Dude, and I I remember, you know, starting off playing that game in the movie theater, you know, walking up to the big screen, pulling out the shotgun and all, but uh playing that game. And then my buddy growing up actually got House of the Dead 2, which was one of my all-time favorite games growing up. He got it on uh Sega Dreamcast. And then one day, you know, and we used to play that fucking game. Really, there you go. There it is. Y'all can't see it, but he's holding up a copy of the House of the Dead too. <laughs> on the Dreamcast. Yep. Yeah, exactly what you're talking about. Yep. That's one of my favorite games, too. One of my favorite games of all time. And one day, you know, we decided to put that down, and he was like, I got another game. We should check this one out. And lo and behold, it was Resident Evil. You know, totally different zombie feel, totally different, you know, uh, game engine and stuff like that. But, um, I, I will, I will go on record for any resident evil fans out there. I am 100% with you ultimate, like without a, to me, without a question, the ultimate resident evil villain boss, whatever you want to call him is nemesis. Oh yeah, definitely. Like without, without a doubt. So here's a fun question for you. Uh, being that we are both we are both big zombie fans, mm -hmm. it is it is the end of the world. The zombie apocalypse has come. What is the first thing you're doing? What are you doing? Where are you going? 
And do you <laughs> think, and here's a question for you too. How long do you think you're surviving? Uh, I'm going to survive till the world blows up. I guess. <laughs> uh, it's going to be walking dead for me. Uh, I'm gonna, I already know what to expect and everything if that happens. Um, and I'll take it happily. Uh, I'd rather have a zombie apocalypse than a robot filled chaos post-apocalyptic world. Sure. Um, me in a zombie world uh, would probably be almost heaven. You know, <laughs> I would literally go like the walking dead and, and, and be happy. You know, I would, I wouldn't trust many people, obviously. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get all the supplies I can. I'm going to be very smart about it. I'm going to be very careful about it. Um, I've gone to just to have fun with it. There's a, a haunted house that opens up every year near me called Arcs Mortis. Um, that's in Killen, Alabama. So if you ever are curious, look it up. Arcs Mortis. There's actually arcsmortis.com. Uh, you can find them on Facebook as well. But uh, it's one of the, the biggest haunted, haunted attractions in Alabama. And um, fun fact, they have a zombie paintball. Oh, wow. Course you can get Nice, and uh, they have a lot of people dressed up as zombies, and they they're they're dressed accordingly too. And it's outside, and they only do it at night. They have certain lights everywhere, and you gotta like listen, and you gotta kill them, you know, before they get. If they grab you and pull your tags, kind of like flag football too. If they pull your uh, things off, because right. they're allowed to do that, you gotta sign the way. They don't. They're not gonna hurt you. They just grab your stuff. Then it's over because they don't shoot you. You got to shoot them. Yeah, yeah. But if uh, you shoot them all, then you win basically free tickets for the, the attraction, which is cool. But um, there's like, I think there's like 30 guys out there that's all dressed up. They're going, it's fun. It's so fun. It sounds fun. Um, I've, I've had my practice with some zombies. <laughs> you know? I, I've won a few games, but I've also been attacked and gotten. So, but I know what to hear and listen for too. <laughs> right, right. Gotcha. All right, man. So we're coming to the end here. Go ahead and plug anything you want to plug. Let people know where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Taft Space Taylor. You can look me up on TikTok for the Nemesis James Taylor. Actually, just Taft, Taft underscore Taylor on there as well. Um, find me on uh, YouTube, Taft Space Taylor. Um, I do podcasts also, the Nemesis Sessions. I interview a lot of wrestlers on there. And promo wrestlers. Uh, I'm a big PlayStation fan. Taft Taylor 84. If you get bored, you know, and you want to hit me up and play some games. Uh, I run a promo company. It's on hold, but it's about to be starting back up called Promo Wrestling Federation PWF. Uh, the best Ninja Turtles movie in the world is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Youth. I feel like watching that. I'm a big Lego fan. Love Legos. I just put the Hocus Pocus house together. Halloween's my favorite holiday. Uh, I'm a Taurus. Uh, like long walks on the beach, etc. There you go. You heard it here first, man. Well, that was uh, <laughs> TNJT, the nemesis James Taylor. I'm your host, TBK, or the Baltimore Kid. You know what, guys? In a world that's crazy, upside down, left, right, and center, why be less when you can be more? This has been the Be More Talkative Podcast. We will see you again for episode four. Take care. Stay safe. Peace.